Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Thinking Nations series, Thinking Historically About. And if you've been tuning in to the past few episodes, you know we're currently in a mini-series where we're thinking historically about the state of social studies education. The reason we're doing this series is twofold. Back in November, Thinking Nation commissioned a white paper published by the Education Week Research Center titled A Second-Class Subject, Why Social Studies Gets Short Shrift in U.S. Middle and High Schools. And the white paper really explores this, you know, uh, concept that social studies is by and large not seen as as legitimate as the other core contents and how this is a problem for both the system of education and the state of our democracy. So on March 11th, uh, myself and Larry Pasca, the executive director of the National Council for Social Studies, are going to be exploring this research and some other research put out by NCSS on the state of social studies education and what we can do to sustain and enhance social studies education looking forward. In this week's episode, I have the privilege of talking with Dr. Janet Tran, who is the director of the Center for Civics, Education, and Opportunity for the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. And Janet is a really important person in this conversation. She's had the ability to really think strategically both from a classroom level and a policy level on how we can best support educators and sustain social studies education more broadly. Like myself, Janet's uh, career in education started in South Los Angeles as a teacher, and so it's always exciting to have those commonalities. And when Thinking Nation began to work in the larger civic space, Janet was really one of the first people to welcome us with open arms in this work to better both civics and social studies education. So it was really exciting for me to be able to talk with her about the state of social studies education and really get myself to understand her perspective and how the Reagan Institute is pursuing a more sustainable future moving forward. So with that, Let's dive into the episode, and I hope you all enjoy it, and I hope you all join us for the webinar during Civic Learning Week on March 11th. Welcome to Thinking Nation's series, Thinking Historically About, and we are in the midst of our mini-series where we are thinking historically about the state of social studies education. I'm incredibly excited to have Dr. Janet Tran with me today. Janet serves as the director of the Center for Civics, Education, and Opportunity for the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. And Janet, you have been so helpful in helping me think through how we can best push social studies education forward. And I'm excited to dive into some uh, questions with you today. Well, thanks so much for having me, Zach, and excited with uh, what Thinking Nation is uh, looking to achieve and the work that you've already started incubating. Thank you. Um, yeah, if you wouldn't mind uh, starting off and giving us a little bit of background of your journey to where you're at and how the evolving state of social studies education has played a role in that journey. Absolutely. Uh, I think a lot about um, how people who often get into social studies and history uh, education are offers often lovers of history themselves. And uh 
thinking about fandoms and um, in geek culture and uh, equating it in many ways, right? If you love a fandom, if you love Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, there's a feeling of ownership and gatekeeping. And I often worry that were the people who are educating around the social studies, who love geography or erudite facts or uh, certain eras, if they are instead of... Um, spreading the love, uh, behaving like gatekeepers. Um, so I'll move back down maybe from the macro level and uh, talk about my personal journey. I w- always loved history. I quoted John Adams on my fifth grade, uh, you know, education program and, you know, just was really um, into the founding fathers at an early age. And then I went and decided, um, because I didn't receive a high quality education myself, uh, I decided right out of UCLA to teach in South Central Los Angeles. And so many of our students didn't receive the same cultivation or opportunities to love the social studies. And in fact, what they did receive were uh, limited classroom hours and opportunities. oftentimes uh, given to you in inequitable fashion. So, uh, for instance, uh, government, which is the equivalent of civics in in many states, uh, was offered um, in the 12th grade. In the first school I taught at, only one out of four students graduated. So that meant that they never received uh, an understanding of how to utilize their rights and responsibilities. So in many ways, that was really formative for me. I tried to be a great social studies educator, but um, being in the thick of it, uh, I feel like uh, the reflection process didn't really start until you could actually see the forest for the trees, right? And uh, when I came to the uh, Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute, that's when I really started thinking about how do we apply theory and practice when the practice is so um, in the thick of things and you're, you're so worried about the holistic elements of the whole child that oftentimes the content um, comes second for, for good sure. reason. Yeah. And in your current work at the Reagan Institute and really the, in the Reagan Institute's mission more broadly, um, where are you focused when it comes to this cultivation in social studies education? Well, we think of our North Star as President Reagan's call for an informed patriotism, and we chase that relentlessly. So that was the last you know, 15% of his farewell address was uh, a call to young people to teach their parents about history and not just the um, the content, but the meaning behind, you know, not just names and dates and facts and figures, but what what is the significance of our participation, you know, and our service. So that really has been, um, it's, it's very easy to have a mission that you can't stray from as a presidential foundation. And with that uh, call, we started our K through 12 programming. And we are a believer in nuance. There's a lot of debates these days. We can get into that later about, you know, whether you start with, um, you know, getting students engaged or whether you start with giving them the um, baseline knowledge first. And we believe there are many on-ramps into uh, being an efficacious, uh, informed citizen. And I think uh Oftentimes, we act like there's only one route uh, to become that way, and we know every learner is different. So if we were to kind of fast forward through that context and think about this this moment, this historical moment, 2024, uh, which is sure to be an incredibly interesting year um, where I think us hopeful pessimists are really thinking through kind of what our year looks like. Uh, But I'm curious, how would you define the state of social studies education right now? 
That's a great question. And I didn't even get into um, the lack of PD support. As a former educator, I've always felt that the social studies was a, what you called the second class core subject, right? Uh, didn't get a fair amount of time, didn't get uh, hiring preferences, got the overcrowded classrooms. And these are, this is relatively consistent, um, even across a socioeconomic status. So um, it's something we get to if we have the time, right? And that's not necessarily the way we should treat preparation for democracy, which social studies education ultimately is. We don't get to democracy if we have the time. Democracy should be imperative. So to us, to those of us who have been paying attention, I don't think it's extremely surprising that, uh, you know, three out of 10 people born after 1980 say it's not important to, to them uh, to live in a democracy, which begs the question to where they would live, but ultimately they don't actually understand different systems of government or comparative government, and they've not received an appropriate social studies education. So I think it's been sidelined for so long that that's been the norm, and it's considered in many ways almost like a um, de facto um, elective. It's a, you know, a certainly the grade school level, there is not any specific testing or time dedicated to it. So the preparation of those uh, historical thinking skills, which are so critical, are lacking when you show up in the middle and the high school level. And then similarly, because it is not um, valued, uh, the educators are not properly prepared either, whether it's from the training and the education they receive in in school themselves um, to the pedagogy and the updated practices of a professional development that you need to continue to hone your craft. So in some ways, I'm always interested that people are appalled because what do you expect when you're investing five cents per student per year to become oh, experts, yeah. right, at how their system of government works? It's not entirely shocking. Do you, so, I mean, what I hear, you know, that it's it's been consistently a second class consideration or even i mean i appreciate you saying like almost like an elective mm. and and i think we we are you know we are feeling the consequences of that that those decisions over the last 40 years um, do you think that people are like are our eyes being opened to this dilemma are you like, what hope do we have that the tide may be shifting? I, I think so. And I am a, a theoretical pessimist, uh, operational optimist. So I work, things are <laughs> going to work out. But I will say, I'm sure this ex- you've had this experience as well, where highly educated adults have approached me in recent years appalled by their lack of understanding of how the electoral system works, how governance works, how federalism works, how, Mm -hmm. you know, their education decisions um, are made, that federalism is totally in play, that that doesn't happen at the national level. Um, They are, they're embarrassed and um, they ought not to be because that's not, that's not their uh, decision making. That's not the offerings they had. So there's this almost uh, shame that has people double downing on, on the information that they receive because they don't want to admit that they, you know, didn't have an understanding of, you know, the basics of our, our system of governance and, and, you know, why things operate they, the way they are. When you, you complain about the Senate being slow, it's slow by design. You know, we don't necessarily want laws being passed willy-nilly. So these are things that, um, you know, you really have to uh, have practical use and application and, and have better, um, you know, not just this rote 
facts and figures, but really the understanding of how this works at the local level and how it pertains to you uh, before you can actually say, hmm, I understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that you, you bring up a good point that the, the lived experience of so many people can hopefully usher in this new shift in the prioritization of social studies in civics education. Uh, so this, I mean, this conversation, um, the, or at least the impetus for this conversation and others has really been around the white paper that Thinking Nation commissioned mm-hmm. um, that, as, as you point out, is like kind of reveals the second class status of social studies. Um, I'm curious if you'd um, share a little bit about what stood out to you from the white paper and if there are any particular data points that uh, resonated with you most. I think... Um... It's perhaps what's underneath the data points and how it plays out, which is interesting, right? So um, I think, I believe 8% said that um, social studies should be a top priority, right? That's our number one thing, sure. right? It's, it's extremely very, very important, right? High, highest priority as opposed to 53% for math. Um, so individuals yeah. who feel like in, in math defense, it's not doing so great right now either, right? As our, our test scores have indicated. So... I right. think what is interesting about this data point and should be emphasized for those those who may not know and what it, what it may say is, oh, there's fewer people. I actually think it's worse than what the data shows because the numbers may say 8%, but is that translating into active demand? So meaning... You know, right. so 8%, yeah, that's a top priority, but are they doing anything about it? So yeah. are parents calling for a constitution course the way they're calling for a robotics course or a STEM club, right? Are they calling for a, a civics yeah. bee or, a you know, a civics bowl the way they're calling for an academic or a, you know, a literacy award um, that you'd have in the fifth grade, like reading competitions? They are, the answer is actually no, and in some cases, they're yeah. asking, why are you doing this? This is taking away from my students playing sports or being on the robotics team. So it's, it, you know, if you ask anyone, should we teach civics? The answer is, oh, yeah, that's great work. You, we should actually do it. Or should we have more social studies? It's like, yeah, 100%. But what that actually translates to um, when the, as a, in your everyday is this real passive demand and you're not going to have um, the individuals who are advocating for it. So that that stood out to me because if it's only 8% who think it's a top priority, then what percentage of that 8% is actually doing anything about it? You're, we're probably some of that yeah. on screen right now. <laughs> yeah, there is there is the pessimism. Oh man, uh, that's a an insightful observation one thing that I'm left wondering, as, as you talked about it, you know, people, the community sees the, the reading competitions, the robotics class as examples of ways to get ahead for students right. for, towards upward mobility, towards being, um, you know, su- successful in the 21st century. Uh, why don't we see better you know, democratic understanding and civic dispositions as success for the 21st century. I think it's been the the general divestment has led to a lack of understanding of the connectivity, right? Uh, uh, and there's a, a piece, uh, Justice O'Connor, I'll uh, paraphrase, said that uh, democracy is not genetic. And there is a feeling amongst uh, mm-hmm. Americans that it, it's our birthright. So, you know, it's 
we we love freedom and democracy. That's just who we are. And it, it's become almost like a slogan as opposed to understanding that this is a, a wild problem that we need to cultivate generation after generation, um, that we, we aren't just naturally born and we will not face the same problems that we see around the globe. And that, um, I hope can be taught without the hard lessons that we see in democratic backsliding. And that is, um, you know, to me, a, a core principle is uh, we, we take it for granted, right? That the times have been as challenged as they, they are right now, times have been good. And then we presume that this democracy will last for our children and our grandchildren. Right. Yeah. We, the, the taking for granted of democracy is something that we have to definitely be cautious of, um, so, I mean, I think we've been doing this throughout the conversation, but uh, I'm curious, how how are you thinking historically about the state of social studies education? Yeah, I think it's almost impossible not to think historically from the vantage point of <laughs> presidential foundation and site, right? Um, how people feel about the founder of your organization. This applies to all of the presidential foundations and sites. Uh, how they feel about the present you represent can often be more indicative about how they are feeling about the current time. And that is not necessarily, um, that's not revisionist or that's not, um, you know, blacking out history or canceling or rewriting it. So there's this, this real tension of like, oh, we, we can't retell it. Relitigating history is part of history, right? And it is understanding who we are is um, different at, you know, 30 than it is at 20, and it's different at 60 than it is at 50. And that's a part of our, our personal um, telling of history. But as a country as well, and a collective understanding, as we piece together things, as um, the archives reveal more of our decision making, uh, we are constantly looking at uh, things historically, and uh, what it means uh, during to, you know, what the timeless values of President Reagan actually are what they mean today, but also the significance of the Reagan era. There's uh, pieces that are extremely um, salient to think that, you know, we haven't had, you know, federal immigration reform since 1986. That probably was relatively significant in 86, maybe even significant in 96. In 2024, it's almost unbelievably, you know, we can't comprehend that it's been that long since our country has decided wow, to overhaul yeah. it, right? So there's things that when you look back, of course it has more significance. That's not us rewriting the facts. 86, the Simpson-Mazzoli Act passed, and there's players that were involved. This doesn't get, this doesn't mean we're giving credit or giving blame to the president, but we need to look at the context of the times and what it means, um, because it does feel much more significant when we are in, in 2024, wondering how will we get there again, knowing that um, it's an important issue to all Americans, uh, depend not, you know, they could have every viewpoint under the sun. I think there's an agreement that there should be some federal uh, legislation to, to dictate sure. and govern, and it should not be from 1986. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, you know, as we think about social studies education, I, I, I often like am reminded that I can tell a lot about the time of the historian, mm, yeah. regardless of what history time period they're writing about, right? Because we, the types of questions that are being asked, uh, the type of evidence that is being prioritized, it really reveals a lot about whatever contemporary circumstances they were writing in. And 
as we kind of think back on the development and the perpetuation of this second class status, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just wonder, like, what uh, what do we see in looking back in the evolution of social studies education um, that tells us more about our, our current moment? I don't know if you have uh, like a thought about that, but I, I, I don't I, I don't I'm just like, you know, wondering, curious. I, um, I have a lot of personal thoughts about it and as well as uh, as professional. And I think um, what's really fascinating is looking at different versions of textbooks. And I was really lucky to have the the first copy of the American pageant. And it was, you know, re- it's since, since revived 20 something times. Right. And to actually compare, um, you know, certain chapters and that itself is history. Right. To think what made this more important in 2020 than, you know, in 1970. Right. And to really um, look Absolutely. at this. Uh, historiography as well. I wonder if we as Americans have built a culture for our young people where being wrong is catastrophic. Um, I grew up in a family where, you know, my parents were refugees. They didn't have an elementary school education combined from Vietnam. So I learned my history on my own. And I am incredibly embarrassed that when I watched Gone with the Wind in, you know, elementary school, I just presumed that was history. And I had to discover in the back of an elementary school that slavery and what that practice was, was not what was presented on stage. And I read that myself and I realized I was wrong and I recovered. And I think that's, um, that's a really powerful thing to understand that you're wrong and recover because this uh, generation with the instant uh, feedback and the 24 hour, you know, news cycle and social media, there's this premise of being wrong is um, that's the end. You are a horrible, you know, moral failure. And obviously I'm incredibly embarrassed that I thought that, but on the other hand, you know, that's what I was presented and I I started reading more and was extremely interested in, in this, um, in what actually happened as opposed to what was fictionalized, right? So that's um that's a piece if you can recover from being wrong and understanding things incorrectly, uh, I think would be really helpful for our young people. Yeah, I think that's part of I know I've had conversations with you before about cultivating civic dispositions. And I think that's that's part of the 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 list of civic dispositions we need to cultivate. You know, on one hand, the acceptance that it's okay to be wrong with the reflective attitude to recover, but also from like a more sociological standpoint that we need to build a society where we like kind of honor where people are at and um, have have humility and grace for when, when things are wrong and if we see that right. towards recovery. And I think people have never changed the, their mind to the tune of you're ignorant or you're racist or you're stupid. Something that is really, um, we have to remind ourselves that being educated is it's not necessarily, it, it is a virtue, but it's also a privilege, right? And oftentimes people are educated Absolutely. behave as if it's this virtue and, and those who, who lack um, their knowledge, their experiences are somehow less than them, when in reality they just had very different or lacked opportunities. Yeah, and we gotta avoid. I think those of us who have that privilege have to avoid what I like to call the the freshman in college syndrome, where you come back during winter break and you tell your parents how they're wrong about everything, right? Because uh, right. you've now been enlightened, and you know we have to, you know, have that humility um, mm-hmm. to, yeah, to pursue truth and realize that it is a journey. Uh, to close the conversation, Janet, I, I I'd love to hear 
kind of as you look forward, ways that you see us being able as a collective to collaborate in order to really elevate this this civic initiative, this civic aim of utilizing the social studies space to to cultivate thinking citizens? Well, I think there's a lot of excitement right now around America's 250th birthdays and most people have birthdays. So I think um, we should be, we should really use that to our advantage. Um, from the standpoint of an organization, you know, with a modern president, we, we won't own that space. We'll, you know, look for leadership from, you know, the um, the founding era. And we'll certainly explore our um, our facets of um, what informed patriotism looks like at at America's 250th. But I think there's a lot of ways we we. Uh, it's a multi pronged approach, and it's something we need to be consistent about. Um, you know, we host a policy summit here uh, in late spring called the Reagan Institute Summit on Education or Rise. So we think about this um, through the lens of education reform as well, and we're examining what um, I'm calling the new literacy. So literacy back when we went to school or when I went to school is, is certainly different. We have to look at information veracity now because we have sources coming out of thin air and right. artificial intelligence. You know, we don't have an encyclopedia in the back of the, the room that is the authority. We have to uncover why it matters. And I think making... Um, making things explicit for for students and you know I, I actually had to make the case to people uh, I'm, I'm not going to embarrass anyone but um, I had to make the case as to yes civics and social studies and history education is important to our democracy so if you were wondering why people assume this it's actually because they did not get this education so uh, right. we, we've always said civics you got you got to teach it history you've got to learn it it's like eat your vegetables cause you don't actually have a good reason for it right um, so that's a piece of making making the connection I think um, also connecting with the other disciplines as well and it, it's a scarcity environment in education right if you're saying we need more time for the social studies the math teacher is going to say, well, friend, I have kids who are very behind and won't be able to get through algebra and they won't graduate. So our kids aren't literate across the board, This, especially post-pandemic. Um, they aren't doing great in reading and math these days either. So they're really struggling. So for us, I, I know in your white paper, you looked at a vertical plan, but the cross-horizontal plan is extremely important, you know, tying in, tying in the yeah. history um, of, you know, statistics and and you know, Pew Research data to to your math questions is extremely important. Thinking about you know why why we consider something the classics, interrogating the text that we're reading in English, making sure that they're integrated in humanities fashion, not just these discrete topics. Those are really important. And then I think finally providing educators the ability to feel confident that they're doing the right thing, because classroom teachers, if they are convinced it's the right thing for the most part, we'll try to do this. Um, but right now, we place them under such duress. Uh, they are so worried about, you know, being FOIA, teaching the wrong thing, being political, getting yelled at by a parent or a principal. Um, we're actually at the Reagan Institute hosting a uh, conversation on active versus activist citizenship during Civic Learning Week to really sort of differentiate, to help people uh regain that confidence again and for parents and students as well to know what they're consuming uh, because oftentimes 
people are not talking about the political, they're talking about policy, and it's conflated because we are extremely nervous and we don't know, um, we, we don't actually know the social studies is, is the core, right? So, so building that confidence and that, um, that efficacy for our educators and for our parents and the consumers themselves and our main stakeholder, our students. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm very excited. I didn't realize that that was the the focus of your Civic Learning Week uh, session on active versus activist citizenship. There's so much to chew on. Yeah, that's I, I'm excited. To, I'll, I'll be sure to attend and uh, I'm excited to you know learn from your insights. Uh, well, Dr. Janet Tran, thank you so much for joining me in thinking historically about the state of social studies education. It was really a, a pleasure. And I, I think you gave me um, even more questions than answers, which I love um, as I just kind of process how we can best push the, the discipline forward. It's a fun conversation. Thanks for hosting me. 